It's good to see the rest of you on a beautiful spring day. And uh, I stopped shaving in December, which a few of you have noticed, but um, one more warm day, and this baby's gone. <laughs> this baby's gone. It's been a long winter, that's for sure. At any rate, let's take our Bibles and let's turn to Acts chapter 3. verse 47, um, Peter had preached a message that 3,000 were saved on that day. And uh, what, what an amazing thing. But here we go in chapter 3 now. We'll read the first 11 verses. Uh, another great event. Now Peter and John, verse 1, chapter 3, Acts. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the, at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have given thee, as, I'm sorry, as I have Give I thee, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Or why look you so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? May God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word. Let us open in prayer this morning. Father God, thank You for the day. Your beauty and splendor in creation is abounding. And Father, as You've allowed us to be here in this place to raise up Your name, to praise it, to worship, to bring adoration to who You are. Father, may these moments be special to You, first of all, in receiving our worship, our praise. But Father, we also are here to learn more about you through the word of truth. And Father, we would ask the Holy Spirit, as Jesus even asked uh, before his leaving this earth, before he was crucified, in those last hours, as he prayed for the Holy Spirit to come and to guide in all truth, as even that was accomplished in the disciples' lives, in Jesus' period between the resurrection and his ascension. There was a time for him to have guided in the truth, guided the truth into this disciples' lives, their hearts, for them to really understand how the Old Testament was a point, was spoken of regularly in the coming of the Messiah and Jesus Christ in particular. Thank you now for, these time, for this time we have. Uh, move us in the direction you want us to be. Take us right where you want us. We'll pray for those that are here today, Father, and their individual needs, things that are pressing on them. Father, you know it better than they do. 
put your arms around them. May they feel your love, your care, the concern that you have. And Father, that the remedy would already be in action. Thank you for what you're doing now in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, here we are in Acts chapter 3. Um, our notes from the last couple of weeks uh, really give us inference to the beginning of the church. Uh, these four aspects, worship, instruction, fellowship, and evangelism, that was the beginning of the first church. It's just as important and maybe even, I can't say more so, because if it, that's the beginning, it probably isn't more so, but something that we absolutely need today. If there's, a, if there's a facet of that that's removed, you will find a church wanting. It's not complete. It's not full. Uh, we talked about the depth of a church would be in its worship and its instruction, its teaching, its worship of a God. That would really give the sense of depth within a church. And its width would be determined by its fellowship, that word koinonia, or and, 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 and evangelism as well, the spreading of it going wide. So you have depth and you have width in the sense of that church. Well, today we're going to find uh, something that is spoken of just briefly in chapter 2 about what's going on during this time frame. And it must have been a time that was truly, truly amazing. And we know the disciples had stayed in Jerusalem because Jesus had requested them to do that. Um, they were hanging around for 8 to 10 days uh, in Jerusalem praying in the upper room. They were having a prayer meeting that lasted for a long time. 120 of them were gathered. Uh, Mary uh, Jesus' mother was one of those that were there. His brothers, uh, after seeing Jesus Christ be risen from the dead, that'll get your attention. Uh, they, saw their, they saw their brother, their mother would have seen their brother for sure, hanging on a cross, saw him dead, saw him buried. And literally now when he was, in, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that he appeared to James, his brother, after he was resurrected. I don't know what James thought of him before. We know that the family as a whole thought he was crazy. I absolutely thought he was crazy and pretty much told him that. But after that point, and that'll get attention. Uh, I can't imagine that. James and Jesus meeting, and I don't know wonder, under what circumstance, but would to say, wow, you're alive. <laughs> That's the proof, right? That's the whole deal. At any rate, <coughs> we know then that as they're waiting... And they watched Jesus ascend into heaven. The Holy Spirit came on those 120 on the Feast of Pentecost. Just another day, another holiday. I shouldn't say holiday, another feast. But it's different today. Something's very different. All of those gatherers coming, in from, coming to Jerusalem for the feast would have come from all over a massive region. And all of a sudden, these 120 are speaking languages that are understood by those that came from Cappadocia. You can go through the whole list. It's in, in Acts chapter 1. And it's talking about, it's not, just, it's not just languages speaking about stuff. It's literally praising the wonderful works of God, which would have been Old Testament sayings, in a language that was very Gentile. That blew their minds. Talk about waking up with an illustration. <laughs> you know, that's what they always say, a pastor or a teacher has to do something that gets the people's attention. In both of these cases, the one we look at today and the one previous in Acts chapter 2, I don't know how you could bring much more flavor to a sermon than literally for 120 people that are speaking in, in unknown languages to them, but known languages to the recipients. As they're gathered into this place in Jerusalem, probably close to a million people. What a setup, literally, for Peter to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, here we have... In fact, let's, let's, uh, let's go to chapter 2 for just a moment, because there's something that's said here in verse, uh, 
verse 42, this is after 3,000 had been added. So we're at 3,120, if you will, right after Peter spoke. Uh, and they continued steadfastly. And now, one thing I want to say, when you see the 3,000, it blows your mind, right? And you're just like, wow, that's incredible. But the part that is kind of like today, if you think of the masses of people today that literally turn off Jesus Christ, it wouldn't have been much different there. Because as I've said, there's probably you know, anywhere from 500 to a million people that would have been in this city, Jerusalem, during this time for this feast. And 3,000 were saved. How many heard the voice of Peter? I don't know, but it was a lot more than 3,000. It would have been a very small number that were saved out of the group that heard it. And again, uh, making point of this, we're sort of doing a lot of review, if you've noticed here, but the part that, that Peter asked them to do after they, what should we do? Why did they ask that question? Because he pointed out, you, you destroyed, uh, crucified Jesus Christ. You killed your Messiah right here. That will bring conviction, won't it? But what should we do? Repent, that is, turn around, completely change your thinking. This Jesus is the Messiah. That's the first thing. That's the same thing for anyone here today or in this world. You must change who you think Jesus is. He's not just a man. He's not just a teacher. He came to earth to save you from sin that holds you captive. You must change that. And then the second thing was to be baptized. We talked a lot about that on one week in particular. Now, for that group of people, that would have taken on an extra level of genuineness, if you will, and talk about sticking out like a sore thumb. When you would have externalized that you believed and trusted Jesus Christ of Nazareth, which had been crucified just 40, 50 days before in this same town, and you now are standing and saying, He is my Messiah. I don't know where you were an enter in Jerusalem. I don't know where you got food in Jerusalem. When you take that stand, that's a big deal. All of a sudden, you may come home and the locks are changed in the door. All of a sudden, you may not be able to buy food at the, at the local grocery store. You may, not be, you may be totally ostracized. But the point Peter was making is, I'm telling you what, that's what it is today too. If you're, you're going to stand up for Jesus, you're going to stand up for Jesus. That's what's taking place. So now, and that makes a lot of sense as this group of people now, this 3,120 people, if you will, and growing daily, that they're sharing amongst themselves. So that's under, whoop, that word disappeared, koinonia or fellowship, that literally they knew their intimate needs. And that's why they needed to do that. Because probably, honestly, there were families of which they would have been ostracized or kicked out of, excommunicated, if you will. And that group was caring for the needs of others right there. Let's take a look. Now, there's other things that are taking place, and chapter 3 is about that. Fear, uh, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's right. The apostles' doctrine came from Jesus teaching the apostles. All of the Old Testament scriptures would have spoke of Him coming. We found that in Luke chapter 24, verses 44. And fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. The apostolic age, and that's what we're talking about, those 11. Now, there was one added. It's like, do the math. There's 12 minus 1, Judas Iscariot. Then they added 1, so we're back to 12. There was one more added, literally, on the road to Damascus. Later, we'll find it in Acts. His name was Paul. He was Saul, Saul of Tarsus, and he is called by Jesus Christ personally to be a disciple. Uh, not a disciple, an apostle. 
an apostle. These wonders, these signs, these miracles were done exclusively in this age of the beginning of the church by the apostles, apostles only. Healings were done by the apostles only. It was apostolic. So there's, there's crazy wild things going on. Now, why, would that, why is that necessary? Okay, the church is beginning, and we're, yeah, we just read chapter 3, and there's this healing, right? They go to the temple at a normal time. We'll get into that in a moment. What's the significance of miracles or strange happenings or wonders or signs? What, what's the importance of that? Well, uh, how much of the Bible did they have? They would have had the Old Testament. They would have had the Pentateuch. They would have, Mo, uh, they would have Moses' writings. They did not have the New Testament right? They didn't have anything that really spoke as we have. We have the epistles, we have the letters that unfold the gospel clearly because Jesus has lived and died. The Old Testament very much captures the gospel. We even find it back in Genesis chapter 3 that the Redeemer would come through the line of the woman. As, as you know, imagine that bad day, right? I mean, you wake up in the morning yesterday, you were walking with God in the Garden of Eden. Well, it's like a four o'clock walk, right? I don't know, maybe at lemonade. I don't know. It, was just, it would be great. And then the next day you wake up like any other day, and here's the serpent. And you're tempted. And you choose to take in the innermost part of your throne room, the one that runs your will, that runs you, and you kick God out and you put self in, inside. Now you're not only walking with God, you're at enmity with God. That's where sin happened. Adam was created innocent, not holy, innocent. And now we, in this room, have received, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, we have that innate sin nature that's part of who we are. Everyone wakes up with that. Everyone, everyone, not wakes up, everyone is born with that. Just like a little child at one year old. You don't have, boy, I'm really struggling. Honey, we have got to teach this child how to be selfish. I mean, he's not even showing anything there. He's not like any of us. No, it's, it's normal, isn't it? It just comes with the package. You don't have to teach them that stuff. In fact, you will spend, parents, the rest of your life trying, no, don't think about just you. Think about others. Don't be so selfish. Stop it, right? Go ahead. Be honest. <laughs> I spent a lot of my time. There's a lot of spankings. This right hand was busy at, as those formative years as they're growing up. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. That's where it came from. And this Jesus came to take that away. Uh, let's keep going now. In, in Acts chapter 2, we find that the church is beginning. We find that, there, that there, there's wonders and signs. But look at verse 46. And they, speaking of this group, continuing daily with one accord in the sense of unity. Where? In the temple. And breaking bread from house to house, they were eating amongst themselves and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Man, that is a fantastic chapter. Okay. Now, I ask a question I didn't let you have time to answer it. I just remembered it right now. My bunny was running around the trail right there. But why? what's the significance of miracles? What's the significance of in the, even, even the beginning when the Holy Spirit comes on those 120 people and they start speaking in languages? That's called tongues is what it's used in the King James. But it's languages. It's known languages to the hearers. To the hearers. What's the significance? What was the significance of that? Well, you have to have some way to validate or to confirm what's taking place. Because just the day before, the Holy Spirit was not there. He could come and go. In the Old Testament, you found, how would you like to have been Saul, right? One day you're on Saul. The Holy Spirit is living in him as a king of Israel. And Saul made some really crummy choices, really crummy choices. And you know what? One day, the Holy Spirit left. I don't know what that would have been like. 
Now, here's the really cool part. If you're a Christian today, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit, at the moment you trust Christ is inside, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. But you know what? He doesn't ever leave. Praise God. I've given him moments that he should have, but he doesn't because he's the guarantee. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, he's the promise of the inheritance to come. He's the down payment. How would you like to say that? And what's your down payment? The Holy Spirit. That's good enough. That's literally who lives within you. And his job is going to be to get as much of you as possible. You don't need any more of the Holy Spirit. You have all of him, if you will. But it's up to you to determine how much of you you give to him so that you can impact the world for Christ. And that's what sanctification is all about. Every single day that goes by, God wants you to look just a little bit more like Jesus. Just a little. With that humility and love and care and concern and sharing and sacrifice. Every day is that day of the Holy Spirit will just move you a little bit closer. Now, when we choose not to follow, that's like what Chuck Swindoll used to say. Three steps forward. Oh, two steps back. And three steps forward. It's a slow process sometimes, isn't it? But that's what this is all about. Signs and wonders. They are to confirm, to validate what the message is. If you had five guys come through this door today, it would be very different. Five guys came through and they each had a message. And they're all very different. I don't know what they would be. But they get behind the pulpit and you're going to determine what is the truth. And if you don't think that's weird, you just try going on the internet today. And you, you read some stuff and you say... Really? But everything on the internet is true, right? <laughs> Wrong. And all of those messages that are coming, especially our young kids today, right? It's just this onslaught societally that are just bombarding them with stuff and information. And it's overwhelming. What is true? Even Pilate. Remember that? Jesus is standing before him. He's standing. Be, or the pi, uh, Okay, stop, Larry. Christ Jesus, the one that Pilate thinks is in control, literally Pilate is in front of him, the creator, the judge of all of the world, and he says, what is truth? He doesn't know. And you can take that over. Was it, was it uh, uh, what's the right word? Uh, not crit critically. Uh, cynically. Was he actually just cynically saying, well, what is truth? Who cares, right? That's what's happening in our world today. Who cares about truth? As long as you have your own truth. Paul, you got your truth, right? As long as you have your truth, who cares about the other truth? Don't, don't hurt anybody else. What does that mean? What does that mean? Don't hurt anybody. Just live by your truth. That's our world. It's gone crazy. It's out of control. And our young kids today are just, ah, must be crazy, right? What's true? What is true? I remember, by the way, I, when I went to school, the dinosaurs were still roaming, I think. Just ask my kids. <laughs> Right? But I remember in world history, they were teaching evolution. And I'm just, I'm th I'm, you know, and they, and they got all of these models of, I don't know, I'm not going to go down this trail too far because you can really get buried, right? But it was like these in betweeners, they had names, right? And as you found out later, they, uh, one of them, particularly, I can't think of the name of it, they took a pig's tooth and they built a model. And that was an intermediate fossil of how man came from apes. And I just, I remember just sitting, I'm a sophomore in high school, and I'm like, that is so weird. Nebraska man. That's it. Yeah, it was a Nebraska man. It was a pig tooth. It's been, it's been documented. It's a pig's tooth, people. But we made a model out of it because we want to have something we want to believe in to get rid of a creator because if we have a creator, we're responsible. If we're responsible, we're logically going to have to live under his rule and reign. We don't want to do that, so let's get a pig's tooth. 
But I never see in my house, in my home, my family, we never talk about that stuff. We didn't talk about evolution. We didn't. And I remember just, I'm a sophomore in high school. I'm not totally naive. I've heard of it, obviously. But I'm like, who came up with this stuff? This is crazy. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a good place to start. You know what? You tell that to a three-year-old, they got it. It makes sense. Because God placed within them, in their soul, a part of that that receives the godness of who God is. But the older we get with rejection, the easier it is to accept a pig's tooth. It's true, isn't it? Romans chapter 1. Okay, this rabbit is getting out of control. you got to be educated not to believe in God. That's fair. That's fair. It is. It's fair. And when we reject truth, that's the key. We could go there. I'm gonna, why don't you guys read that this afternoon? Go to Romans chapter 1, just start in verse 16 and just cruise on through. You will find that literally... The worst thing that we have done as Americans is rejected God. We have rejected truth that we knew. And when we reject truth that is known, you are on a spiral downward. Period. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. I'm glad truth is truth. Right? I'm glad it is. Okay. Larry, get back to Acts, please. Acts. All of this going on, all promoting Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is in Genesis 1.1. He was there. John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, which means he was at creation in Genesis 1, 1. That Jesus, who I remember as a parent, first time, Laramie, just a little guy, right? It was a miracle. You know, your father, and, and that, that is, and your life's changed, too. Did you notice that? It was amazing. That kid could cry and cry. My mother-in-law thought it was a great idea to have a party for the first child of, you know, Lisa and, and ours. And so we have this massive, it seemed massive, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was probably 30 people. I don't know, Lisa would probably know. And, and they're all gathered at her house. Uh, and if you haven't noticed, Laramie's not really an outgoing kind of a guy. He's, he, he started that way. And he cried that whole night because of all of this turmoil and all of this stuff going on. But when I think about it this way, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the God-man, was the creator. Let that soak in for a minute. And he, think back, dads, when you were first a father, that little baby was where Jesus Christ came to this world to save it. That blows my mind. And that's the Jesus that Peter's talking about. That's the Jesus that literally 3,000 people were introduced to. And now, we're going to continue in chapter 3, verse 1. This is another day, just another day. What, are, what do we know from what we just read in chapter 2? What are they doing every single day? Oh. Yeah, they're going, to, they're going to the temple. Yep. Now, think of that. A little bit of a convoluted thing, right? Who else goes to the temple? The Jews. The temple was built for the Jews, and that would be Judaism. That would be like, how much love was there right now in Jerusalem for Jesus of Nazareth? They wouldn't even call him the Christ, obviously. Christ means Messiah, means anointed one, the one that would have come to save the people. A zero. I'm telling you. So now we got in the same place, same complex, about 40 acres. We would have 
people that hate Jesus and now those that love Jesus in the same place. Do you see a little bit of maybe, right? But that's where they're gathered on, on any given day. Uh, Peter and John, they're going as they usually go uh, together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. There were three times in the day that uh, the Jews would have responded to praying. Um, in fact, if you want to go back to uh, Daniel, just hold your place. Let's go to Daniel chapter 6. Now, here's a guy. Uh, talk about maybe take a few days off. Um, the people of which he was serving with, Daniel was that kind of guy. You couldn't find anything wrong with him. Don't you like working with people like that? His integrity is so deep, so magnificent, that they tried to somehow dig in and find some way to get rid of him because he's, he's too good and we can't have him here. Well, that sounds like politics. Yeah, we don't want those people around. And so they finally decided, let's get rid of him. And the only way they could do it was something about his God. So they make this devious plan. They go to the king and they say, I tell you what, king, you are so cool. I think we just need to worship you alone and you alone for 30 days. I mean, you deserve it. You, you're that kind of guy. You are amazing. And, you know, just flatter him. And he said, you know, I don't you think about it. I am pretty good. Let's go for that plan. What's 30 days? It'll be great. They tell Daniel. Now, Daniel, in his mind, could have said, hmm, 30 days isn't that long. You know, I could sort of be silent. I could be quiet. I wouldn't have to really engage in that. I could, you know, there's no harm, no foul. Out of sight, out of mind. So how did... How did Daniel respond? This is why I love Daniel, right? So you're in chapter 6 of Daniel. Uh, just tune in to verse 10. They've devised the plot, verse 10, uh, chapter 6 of Daniel. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, this was now law, the Medes and Persians, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. That was a tradition. And he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed, giving thanks before his God as he did aforetime. And then these men assembled, found Daniel praying, making supplication before his God. And guess what they did? Right off over to the old king's palace. And we have our first fatality. Get the lions ready. Did you see how focused Daniel was? But the point was, is there's three times a day. Um, you could actually go to Psalm chapter 56, verse 17, and it says there's three times a day. In the Jewish, count, in the Jewish time frame, it would have been 9 in the morning, noon, and at 3 o'clock. This one here, the ninth hour, would be 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It would be time for the evening sacrifice. So let's go back to Acts and let's watch this unfold. Just like another day, Peter and James, I'm sorry, Peter and John uh, went up to, together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This is their, and I'm sure they're walking and talking, cruising through uh, the area, getting closer to the temple. This is not irregular, not abnormal. Everything's going along fine. And we have like, meanwhile, in another part, of the temple, there's another guy that woke up in a very different kind of a world. But he would have also been very regular in the sense of who he was, where he went. A certain man lame, verse 2, from his, from his mother's womb, so this is someone that was born lame, was carried. This man had to be carried, whom they laid daily. Every single day this guy was, do you see this, do you see this situation? This guy who is lame from his mother's womb is literally being carried into the temple, we'll find the gate in a moment, every single day. Now, if you're lame, you would, another, you would probably be a beggar. You would be looking for some type of alms or some type of a, a, a donation. You would be looking for cash, if you will, to just exist. Now, there was 
several different places in the scriptures we know that if you're a beggar, there's places to be. One of them was Lazarus. Remember, he was at the gate of the rich man. And that was like a bad place to be. I'm just going to be honest. That, you know, Lazarus, in fact, died early, right? It was a tough, 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 tough life. But that was a gate that he was at, and he would have leaned on those that were wealthy for some type of handout. And it said he was just living on the crumbs, basically, from the rich man's table. Now, another one uh, would have been blind Bartimaeus. He was on a roadway coming in or out of Jerusalem, out of a larger city, shall we say. That's a good place to be, because as people are entering or leaving, if you're right there in a good spot, you have your spot, it's not a bad thing. This guy, though, has got it covered. He is actually daily being taken, carried by someone, whoever they is, is not described for us, whether it's his family, we don't know, into the gate, which is called the beautiful. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it's an outer gate on the east side of the temple. Larry, were you able to find a, a diagram of the temple, Herod's temple? Not really? Very good. Okay, you'll keep working on that. And as we do that, so this guy, he would just sit right inside this gate. Okay? That is a great place because most of the Jews would have gathered in the temple because they have a guilty conscience. They're going to try to appease God. What better way than we have someone that's there that we could just throw him a few shekels? Right? And this guy, he, he's got a good spot. There's no question about it. He's thought through this. They both frequent this area. Now, one of the things we don't know is, had Peter and John seen this man before? Probably. One thing we do know is the people that were in the temple upon his being healed later on in our passage, they knew exactly who he was. Oh, my goodness. Ah, that I have never seen before. Okay, so let us... Can you go... Okay, this is good. Right here. Yep. And it would be nice if we could get, if you can go to the next step out, which would show us Solomon's porch. It would be like the, it, and it would join into the court of the Gentiles, which would be actually over here. It would be on the eastern side of it. So like the Solomon's porch, that's okay. The Flaremy, you don't have it, it's okay. But there would be another, now the only thing that's left, we're going to get into this, right? Let's talk about our history stuff first. Okay, so the beautiful gate exactly pointed out is this one right here. Now, we don't know much about it, but Josephus, the Jewish historian, gave us quite a bit of insight into it. It was, believe this or not, it was 75 feet high, it was 65 feet wide, 60 feet wide, and it took 20 men to close it. It's massive. It was covered overlaying with gold and brass. It was meant to be beautiful. This isn't just an oversight. This is truly amazing. The majesty of this gate. Now, this would have entered into, as you can see, the temple proper. Okay, Outside of this would have been the court of the women. That's where all of them would have come through was into this area. Okay, Outside of this, and this is what we'll have to imagine, unless Laramie finds another one, but there was a, what's called Solomon's Porch. We find it in Acts chapter, 12 verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 12. You might jot that in your notes. It's another one within Acts of which the, the, the disciples and the group was... was I guess, being there. This was a very common place to be gathered because the reason being is they couldn't really mess with, if you've noticed, see the court of the Gentiles? It's going all the way around. If you were a Christian, you could be there. <laughs> you couldn't go inside, but you could be outside in the court of the Gentiles because anyone could be there. 
That's why Jesus in, Acts, in John chapter 10, in fact, let's go there for a moment. Uh, John chapter 10, he's talking about the good shepherd. John chapter 10, and in verse 22, just after he gave that exhortation, we find him giving us where he was at. John chapter 10, and, and that's another good passage to read. Why don't you read that one after you read Romans chapter 1 later today. We're going to get you in the Bible today. Verse 19, it says, There was a division, therefore, among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, He hath a devil. He's mad. Why hear you him? Others said, These are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? Do you see? Did you see how Jesus validated and authenticated what he was saying? By healing. By miracles. Now, look at verse 22. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. That's the very same Solomon's porch that we find in Acts chapter 3. And it would be literally right over here in this area. Now, this is all rebuilt. Herod's temple was rebuilt by Herod the king. And he was, he was I'm going to just say an apostate king. He should have never been. He was an Edomite. He had no right to the throne whatsoever. But if you think about it, bribery has been around for a long time. And if you build something that makes the Jews happy, is a better chance for me to stay in power. So he built, and it's majestic. Don't get, don't get me wrong. It's beautiful. It's unreal. Unbelievable. But there was one part that was not destroyed by the Babylonians or the Chaldeans when the first temple was destroyed, which was Solomon's temple. There was one factor, one thing that was left, and that is Solomon's porch, the portico. And it would have been literally on the very far eastern wall, and they would have covered it, and that was a place a lot of these events took place. Jesus wanted to be with the people. The best place to be the people that wanted, that really would listen, would be in this area of the, of the court of the Gentiles that was by the poor. Yeah, I think that's going to, I remember seeing this one now. So right here is the beautiful gate. Right here, 11, isn't it? Yep. Okay. This would be, yeah, yeah, here we go. Solomon's portico, there it is. This, right on this wall of the, of the very outside, this would have been in existence that was never destroyed. It was part of the original Solomon's temple. And it, that's why it's stated that way, Solomon's porch. It was a covered with colonnades. It would have been very, yeah, that's, that's, that's perfect. That's perfect. So now you can start to see the layout of where this place took place, of where this all took place. So this is where Mr. Lame guy is hanging out right inside this gate, the beautiful gate. Now, Peter and John, they are coming from wherever, and they're going to be going right by him. Had they met before? I asked that question. I wouldn't doubt it. Because guys, that's a daily repetition. What a great place to be. I mean, he probably even had a membership to stay there, right? I mean, that's a, right? I mean, you don't just get that spot. He's worked for it. All right, let's keep going. So his, his event is he's carried daily. He's at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. He's asking alms of them that entered into the temple. And again, who's entering the temple? Jews who are working their way to God. What better way than to ask them for a handout? Oh, yeah, that, that's good. We're in the right place for that. Now, if he would have been in, in the home residence, I don't have time for you. In the temple? Where they're trying to impress God? That's a good place. That makes sense. Verse 3. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And they said, sirs, could you spare some cash? He had a line. He had a, who would have some way of doing that. And Peter, 
fastening his eyes upon him with John said, look on us. Now that same word fastening his eyes, let's go back to Acts chapter 1. And let's take a look at verse 9. It's the same word in in the Greek. And when he had spoken, verse 9, chapter 1, when he had spoken Jesus, these things, while they beheld, that word, while they beheld, they're looking intently, he was taken up and a cloud received them out of sight. And they looked steadfastly. Those terms are exactly what's taking place. John is looking, he's gazing intently at this lame man. It's like God is literally, the Holy Spirit is within John, within, who, who, who said what? Peter, right? Yes, Peter. So Peter is like the Holy Spirit, that guy, that's your illustration today, buddy. That's my guy. We're going to do something sovereignly, and we're going to do it now. Okay? And then Peter says, look at us. And now you can tell this guy's thinking, here's my guy. We got it. He said, he gave heed unto them, verse 5, expecting to receive something of them. Now here's another thing. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Somebody remember that. Paul, you remember, we're going to go there, okay? Ephesians 3, 20. Sometimes it's amazing what we ask for. We're praying, and we ask for stuff, and after the fact we say, man, that was so small. God had such bigger ideas. He wanted to be way above and beyond that, but I was asking for something. It's like asking for when you've got a prime steak. could be yours. And that's really small in comparison to what God has for you. But here's a guy looking for money, change, alms, if you will, for another day. And he's, he's lying there, obviously. He can't walk. And he's, alms, alms. And Peter says, look at us. Oh, here's my, here's my guy. He's my victim, right? Uh, alms. And then Peter's going to respond with something that's going to blow his mind. He's asking for money. He's looking for money. And literally, the man is going to be healed. Now, which one do you think he would have asked for if he would have even thought that was a possibility for today? Because this is just another day. It's perceived the man is 40 years old. I can't, I couldn't prove that in my, in the text today, but he's obviously been, he's an older man. Is is it? You see it? I'm going to go with no. The reason I'm saying that is he's able to be inside the gate. Okay. That's the only way, that's the only way I could verify that. Okay, but that's what I think. But he's probably, he's been there a long time. Is he 40? We're going to just say that. I can't prove it, but let's say he is. And today, if you woke up and the people said, you know what, let's carry you down to the temple. Today, you're going to be healed, buddy. Right. <laughs> just like every other day I wasn't, right? And he's asking for money. And then Peter says this. Listen carefully. Glasses. Peter said, silver and gold have I none. (laughs) You can see him just start to, (laughs) but such as I have, give I you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, for us that read that, you know what's going to happen. But don't go there because this man who is, I'm going to come back to what Mimi had asked because I think this even makes it more specific. For him to be able to be inside there tells us that he's a Jew, okay? Which now, you're a Jew, you're in Jerusalem, you've watched the Feast of Pentecost take place days before. Before that, you would have saw Jesus of Nazareth crucified because he's an anarchist. He's an insurrectionist. And now you've got somebody that says, look at us. And then he says, I don't have any silver or gold. I don't have any money. By the way, you know the apostles, 
They had poverty and they had power. I'm going to go with them every single time. But he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I'd have to believe he'd say, quit mocking me. Quit mocking me. Jesus is dead. He was on a cross. They hung him right out there for everyone to see. And that's what you're giving me today? That's what you're giving me today? It would probably be inappropriate for Peter to say, just have faith. <laughs> right? Wouldn't it? <laughs> just have faith. Jesus will heal you. Oh, the one that was, right? See, this is another deal right here. There's no faith required of, their, of, our, of our recipient. Never asked. Because it's in the wrong name for him. This is going to have to be something that's going to have to blow their mind. And you know what? God can do that. Now, Peter, just like us, God did the work, God did the power, God did the healing. But let's look at the next verse. Peter's involved just as you are in God's giving as well. Verse 6 again, then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, how many times did he walk before? And it told us clearly that he was lame from his mother's womb. And this also, you don't think about this for a moment. But I don't know how you got to learn to walk, people. But you don't remember it probably. But it was not instantaneously walking. <laughs> I'm watching his little grandson. Now, the latest one was, is, is Lariat, right? Uh, it wasn't simple. In fact, if he could have you come to him with a snack, that's okay. We don't need to walk where we don't need to walk. And, you know, now he's venturing around. He's going. I'm watching the little granddaughter the other day running with no training wheels on the bike and scooting and moving. That doesn't normally happen. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. Here's a man that's never walked. But God does a full work. You'll see that in a moment. Keep that in the back of your mind. He... Verse 7, who's he? He took him. Who's he? he who's he? Peter, right? So Peter took the lame man by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Now, why? Where, where, how important was Peter in all of this process? Take a step back. <clears throat> Take a step back. The lame guy that's lying on the ground, he's been there every single day. He's never, ever walked. He's never, ever, without anyone else intervening, has ever been able to move. I mean, as far as, as, far as walking. And Peter, who he's never, if you've seen him before, maybe, I don't know. But this guy doesn't give him any money. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I want you to rise up and walk. Okay. I don't even know how to do that. But Peter reached down. Peter's not the power, but Peter is the available person. See, if Peter hadn't reached out to help him, the guy wouldn't have done it because he doesn't know how. Do you see how God's arranged even the sense of giving the gospel, giving salvation? God's all the power. Jesus Christ did all the work, but he, for some reason, wants us to be able to be involved in giving our, ourselves available in giving that message to reaching out with care and love. That is the deal. You take Peter out of this equation, I'm going to tell you something. That man would still, if he'd be living, would be laying right there because he didn't know he could get up. How many people this week, I'm praying, how many people this week will you reach down to help up? 
I'm not talking lame uh, physically. I'm talking probably lame spiritually. Someone that doesn't know about Jesus. Someone that doesn't know the Word of God. Helping them lift them up to show them that God can heal them spiritually. That's what Peter did. Now you talk about, I mean, the whole place is going to come unglued. Let's watch it. And he, leaping up, stood. <laughs> I love that. He reaches down. And this guy has been lame for his entire life. Let's call him 40. I don't know. It's a long time. He reaches and he leaps up and he stands there for the first time in his life. <laughs> Boy, I would have rather had the money. <laughs> You see how sometimes the small things that we get ourselves all bored into, we lose the real significance of what God wants to do. Paul, where are we going to go? We're going to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Where we? Let's go there for a moment. This is a prayer that Paul is speaking at the end of his doctrinal dissertation in Ephesians. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. This is, this is fantastic. Ephesians chapter 3. And let's take a look. Verse 14. We're going to start in verse 14. He's, and, and, and you, you are familiar with the Bible. In Paul's letters, what he wanted to do, and this is, this is really key for us too as Christians. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, it's, it's not important, as important for you to go try to do what's right. You have to know and think what's right before you can do what's right. And that's how Paul, that's how Paul did all of his letters. I want to get you, I want to get your head right so you can live right. I want you to think right so you can be right. And this is the very end of chapter 3. Ephesians is, is chunked into two, two sections. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all about doctrine, teaching, the right stuff. And then chapter 4, he's going to say, now, now, go live it. Here we go. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the same Jesus Christ that Peter's going to be teaching about back in Acts, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That verse is so rich. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That is really big so far, isn't it? Watch verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ. That is what our mystery lame man would have felt on that day. He was looking for 10, for 10 cents. He got healed instantaneously, completely, totally, and didn't have to wait. It wasn't up to him. This is totally grace. It wasn't, in other words, if it hadn't worked, Peter could have said, oh, he just didn't have enough faith, buddy. If you'd only just believed. No, it wasn't any of that. He was healed completely, instantaneously with the grace that God just poured out as he would have leaned upon Peter's thinking. Let's go back to Acts. Acts chapter 2. He leaping up stood, verse 8, and walked. 
and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. <laughs> I just have to chuckle at that. Here's a guy that's never walked. He's never crawled. And he leaps up. He stands. I'm wondering for how long. I'm just thinking, now, wait a minute. I've never been this high before. <laughs> and he starts walking, it says, and leaping. You know, I'm not even going to try the leaping part. I'm not very good at that anymore, right? I used to be able to leap. Not anymore. But this guy at his age, and he's got to be middle. He's got to be. He's leaping and jumping and praising God. You see, he got healed. God got praised. <clears throat> just the right way to do it, isn't it? He got healed. God got praised. When our needs are met, we should be praising God. <laughs> Isn't it? What, what, a, what a perfect story. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Now, let's again, let's take a step back. We're reading it from one perspective. Inside this temple. Now, again, we're, we're inside the temple. You notice it went in the temple. So in this area right in here, and I, I would like to go higher. This is the Holy of Holies, right? Which that, that's a veil problem that's happened about 40 days previous. When do they fix that? They put a plastic sheet. So you remember, you remember that, what that's all about. Jesus Christ at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Passover, the Passover lambs were, were, were slaughtered. And if you would have been a priest in this day, it would have been crazy chaos, unbelievable. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus Christ hanging on a cross outside of Jerusalem says, it is finished. And that baby, when I'm saying baby, it's about two feet thick, that veil, ripped from the top to the bottom and exposed the Holy of Holies, which no one had seen except the high priest one day out of the year. And it was so precious, so holy, so magnificent in the sense of its sanctification that that priest had a rope around his foot, his leg. If he went in and he hadn't got all the sins cleaned up, the bell, and he had a bell on too. You could hear him moving, right? As long as the bell was ringing, dinging, he was okay. No bell dinging? Uh-oh. Tug the rope a little bit. You okay? And nobody could go in to get him, right? Because you're dead meat too. So they pull the guy out with a rope. That place now, because Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, finished, completed the sacrifice, important enough, the curtain was ripped away. Praise God. I'm so glad that I can approach Jesus Christ, my high priest, directly to God now because of what he accomplished. That is fantastic. I'm just curious, though, on this day, what did they do? I'm sure it would have, Judaism is still going on. Now, my point is this. What would have been the attitude, what would be the atmosphere inside the temple? Forget about Mr. Layman that's not lame anymore. Go back to churchy. It's pretty churchy inside, right? It's quiet. It's silent. It's somber. Shh, quiet. Here comes Mr. Lame Man. <laughs> he's bouncing like Tigger the Tiger. I mean, he's going crazy, and he's praising God. And it's, shh, shh, shh. Well, it's him. What? That's the guy that can't walk. What happened to him? Right? This, you talk about getting an illustration. Peter was looking for an illustration for a sermon. God gave him the biggest, the grandest, the most magnanimous one you can imagine. The guy that's been lame for his life from his mother's womb is standing, leaping, praising God. Oh, you couldn't make that up. <laughs> now, I'm sure there were some of those, those stuffy ones that said, how dare you be loud in this place, even though you were lame five minutes ago. <laughs> The joy that must have been in just infectious, contagious within this lame man would have just taken the air out of all of that stuff. And I do mean stuff. The place had to have been changed, totally changed. The environment was totally different. 
See, when God does the work, when God does the healing, and when you're available, things can happen. <laughs> what a beautiful picture of God's grace. And the, you know, the other thing is you never know what day or what time it'll happen. This was just another day. Another day going to the temple. All the people, verse 9, saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened to him. I would bet. I would bet. Now we're going to get into the sermon next week of what Peter unfolds. But you talk about setting it up. <laughs> Do you think people are ready to listen? Now why? We, we kept posing this question, and we've answered it sort of, but do you think it was important that God set this presentation up, this illustration, with a miracle, with a healing, if you will? Why? What if Peter just would have kind of taken the stage? And he would have been, he would have been not presumptuous. He could have stayed out here in the Gentiles' courtyard, which incidentally they did actually go back there because the crowd would have been gathered. And this is the neat part about God. You don't have to be exclusive to get saved. You see, they could have just done their thing right inside. You know they went into the temple, and that would have been a busy little place. And they probably would have finally just through the sense of, you need, shh, 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 take your game outside, right? Do you know where, you know where Peter spoke? He was out at Solomon's porch. And that's right over in this area, see? All of this area here. Guess what? God's message was available to everyone. Everyone. God heals a man, sets up the illustration. Peter gives this message about Jesus again. And don't preach anything but Jesus. Just preach Jesus. That's what he does. The whole book of Acts is about preaching Jesus. And get out of the way. Amazing. Truly amazing. How would have that been to come home, the, the lame man went home to see his parents? I would have liked to have been there. Hey, Mom. Hey, Dad. How's it going? <laughs> You're so walking. Oh, you, Dad, you wouldn't believe it. You would not believe it. I go down there, you know, and, well, actually, remember, Dad, you were one of those guys that carried me down just like you've done every other day. Remember, you, you, you know, you guys have been carrying me down there, and I'm right there at the beautiful gate, just like always, and I'm in my good spot, and there's two guys, and they come over here, and they look at me. One guy's really looking at me, and he said, look at me, and I said, oh, I'm going to have some money coming my way, and he said to believe in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and his dad said, oh, yeah, well, I know who that is. They crucified him. Well, just hang on, Dad. Just hang on. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And I didn't know how to do that, Dad, but this guy reached down, and he helped me up. And I've been walking and jumping and leaping and praising God ever since. What do you think of that home? What happened to that home that night? Oh, quit making this stuff up. That's what miracles are for. They're for unbelievers. Miracles are not for believers. We already know the miracle has taken place inside of us when we've trusted Christ as Savior. But the ones that don't know Jesus, if you, find, if you look at how Jesus even performed miracles, it was yes to the very needy, 
It wasn't to impress anyone. It was literally to take the sense of validating what he was about to say. That's what this miracle was for. There wasn't anybody that could have been in that place because that man was there frequenting all of the time and for them to see him praising God in the presence of all of those people. Who would you believe? You better believe I'm going to believe. that I'm going to listen to what's going being said now. But there's something different. I talked about it and we got cut off. But say five people walk through the store and they're going to sit in five different places. They have five different messages. And none of them perform miracles. So who do we believe? Do we have to have a miracle to figure out what's truth? Not as long as you have the Bible. See, we don't need miracles today. That doesn't mean God doesn't do miracles. That's not what I said. But the apostolic gift of, of healing is no longer here because the apostles are gone. Now, there's healing taking place today. Absolutely. At God's will. But this Bible is what tells us each one of those five guys that would walk through the store. One of them said that Jesus was never man because matter is evil and God is good and God couldn't have been involved in or dwelt in flesh or matter. So therefore, and there's people who believe this, in fact, it's in the book of Colossians, that's really what that was all about. The church of Colossae had been confronted by this kind of teaching. Now, Paul didn't do a miracle. He reflected on the scriptures. They didn't believe that Jesus left a footprint. He was just a mirage. He was a ghost. He was a phantom. Could not be involved in matter. Now, what would we tell that guy? Do we have to have a miracle? Does he have? It, okay, here's here's. It's one step further. It just popped in my head. What if he did a miracle? Quote unquote. Well, I saw an angel of light, and there's cults all over the world today that have seen the founder of their whatever that saw an angel of light thereby. It's got to be the truth. Satan does miracles. He does. In fact, let's go to 2 Thessalon Thessalonians. Let's try that. Let's take a look. In fact, in the coming tribulation period, the rapture after the, those that have trusted Christ are taken out, caught in the air. We meet Jesus in the air. Jesus, the first time, came to the earth as a form of a baby. The second time, he's coming to meet those believers in the air of the church age. And the second time he comes, he's landing on the same place he left in the Mount of Olivet, just as it says in Acts chapter 1. He's going to end, and that's going to split that mountain. And that's when he comes the second time at the end of the tribulation. Well, let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's a day and age that's coming. And... Uh, this man called the Antichrist will have an amazing amount of power. Let's take a look. Um, let's start in verse 3, though. This is 2 Thessalonians. I don't know why I have such trouble with Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Or you think we're in a falling away stage right now, friends? I think we're in a falling away stage. <laughs> Verse 4. 
who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know that what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Watch now. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Make no mistake, friends. Satan and his demons have abilities that are pretty amazing. A lot of it is just fictitious. As long as they show it is all they need to do. It looks like it. But they have a tremendous amount of ability. But just because that man that came through here and told us that you can't believe that Jesus Christ was flesh because flesh is matter and matter is evil, I can tell him even if he did some unknown miracle, I would have to say, that is false because Jesus Christ is, in fact, man. Emmanuel, God with us, he was flesh and blood. And to take him any less than that is absolutely, completely, without question, heretical and blasphemy, regardless of miracles. You see where I'm going with this? Now, let's say number two came in. and We're going to go through five of these. No, we're not. We're not. But if one came in and he says, you know what, he was, Jesus was just a man. He was a good teacher. He was moral. He did a lot of things right. Taught a lot of people a lot of good things. But he was not God. And he did a little poofy miracle, right? Maybe even better than the first one. He did a miracle. Hmm, that's pretty amazing. What would we say? The Bible says, the Bible says, he was all God. If you make Jesus Christ any less than God, without being man, either side of it, you do not have the right Jesus. And if you do not have the right Jesus, you cannot be saved by that Jesus. Miracles are not. Now, for this man in this place, a miracle was absolutely in order because you are in a place of a beginning of a new dispensation. This lame man, he had no clue who Jesus Christ of Nazareth was, other than it was a name he heard somewhere. And he hadn't heard it in a good light. The people that would have saw that man jumping and praising God, they may not even have heard of Jesus. But to see him praising God, and to be, and it says he was actually hanging on, verse 12, we hadn't read that, but in verse 12 it says that he was hanging on to Peter and John. Now talk about, you know, it's kind of like, I can't imagine Peter saying, now don't go anywhere, stay, stay here, buddy, stay here. Just stay right here. This is going to be good. We've got a sermon. We're going to preach. We're going to teach right now. And you are my illustration because God has raised you up to be able to walk. Just come back here. Just come on, come on, come on. In fact, let's look at verse 12. <laughs> I can't stand it. Uh, I was going to go somewhere else. Just hold that, hold that. Let's go to, one popped in my mind right now. Let's go to, uh, um, let's see, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and let's look at verses 3 and 4. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Hebrews 2, 3 and 4. This is actually, Hebrews is such a fantastic book. We don't even know exactly who wrote it, but it's a transition book. It's kind of like moving from Judaism to Christianity, if you will. And all of the stuff that, that, that the baggage that has to go with, and he just 
dissipates it. But verse 3, chapter 2 of Hebrews says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began, watch now, began to be spoken by the Lord, was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. That's the apostles. That's the disciples. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers or various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Isn't that exactly what's just taking place here with Peter? Spot on. The people are able to see that Jesus' message, that the gospel is in fact very true. Turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. 12, 12. <clears throat> Truly, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it wherein you were inferior to other churches, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. In other words, he's saying the miracles and, and those things that bear myself out, the false teachers didn't have any of that, honestly. This bore out the message and it was absolutely affirmatively true. Now, I'm going to jump ahead for just a moment. Peter gives another sermon. We're going to be looking at it next week. What do you think? God sets up the illustration. (laughs) This lame man's got to have a name. What's his name? Boy, you guys are not very... (laughs) We can't do this, can we? We can't do it. What are we going to go with? Bartholomew. Let's go with Bartholomew. So Bartholomew now is a lame man that's not lame anymore. God has an illustration that I'm telling you. You talk about bright. Peter says, let's talk about this. Because the people are starting to wonder, what is going on? And you can feel, I don't know what's going on inside here right now. It ain't nothing like's going on out here. (laughs) She's wild and crazy and ramped up. And Peter says, let's talk about Jesus. Bartholomew, why don't you just stay right here? You, you just keep leaping and jumping and praising. I don't have a problem with that, but I don't want you to go anywhere because you're my example today of what God can do. And God is validating the message about Jesus Christ because that's whose name we said to be healed in. It wasn't my name. It wasn't me. It wasn't John. Did you see how many miles John covers? This is John the Apostle that wrote the gospel, right? He's the one that we find in Revelation. Way down there that, the, that this guy throws him off into this Isle of Patmos so he can't hurt anybody or do anything. God says, that's a great place because I want it quiet so he can write the book of Revelation. Because when we get down close to the tribulation, those guys that are really about ready to blow out and meet me in the rapture, they're going to want to know a lot of what's going on, and John's going to be that guy. Here he is standing second fiddle to Peter. He's all over. But he's available to everyone he's in contact with. That's my message to you today. God is the power. You need to be available. You need to be ready to be where God wants you to be. I don't know why I'm sharing. I'm going to share one more time. I I didn't plan to, but um, about being where God wants you to be. In that, uh, been several weeks ago now, but I was uh, I was delayed in my driveway, and to look at my phone, which a phone is a. (laughs) I don't need to say anymore. Anyway, I'm looking at, and I see Alice. Alice Gilbert, is, she was going to turn in there to be with Lisa and do her hair. And so ah, I pull out, and Alice is already getting out of the car. And she said, you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. I'm 
I was just looking at my phone. She said, well, Lord, I just wanted to know, Ernie and I prayed for you today. And we asked that God would have you exactly in the place that he wants you to be. That sounds good. And that's one of my prayers as well. I want to be where God wants me to be, right? Because that's where I want to be. That's where I should be. That's the best place to be. It's the safest place to be. And so I go over, get my truck. And an hour later, I'm in an accident that really should have killed people, cattle, and horses. But God miraculously folded that truck up, throws me through a guardrail. You know, there's that song, Jesus, Take the Wheel. No, Jesus took the truck. (laughs) (laughs) He took the truck. And if you go there today, I don't know if you go to the Cardwell exit, but you come around that two lane on that 90 degree corner and you face that interstate where the highway goes underneath. And at nine o'clock in the morning, trust me, there's a shadow. You cannot see the cows or horses without any lights there. I'm here to say I'm probably 150 feet away going 40 miles an hour. The math is all wrong. And to see where God put that truck is amazing. And as I'm gathering, <laughs> there's a guy that came around and, and he saw what had happened, which is good because there was, the cows were gone and the horses were gone and people were gone and the cops are saying, what were you doing? <laughs> but this man, this witness came over and he said, I'll tell him exactly what happened here. There were no flashing lights, but there were, he, he, I don't know how he did what he did. I said, no, I'm, I don't say I did anything. God protected people's lives today, right here. You couldn't put it in another place. Now, do I believe that God had me exactly in the right place at the right time? Yes, I do. Do I remember signing up for it that morning? No, I don't. (laughs) But is it a part of being a Christian? Yes, it is. Because the safest place to be is where God wants you. There 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 are people that I'm actually praying for. I've asked you to pray for them as well. There are the two people on horses on that day that should not be living today. There's no reason. And they know that. One of them went over to the guy on the other side of the interstate and he said, that's the closest I've come to dying. I haven't had the opportunity to speak to him. I know who he is. Don't know him well. But one of the questions I can ask as we open up, BJ, you shouldn't be here today and you know it. Where would you be if what should have happened happened? Would you be in heaven? Or would you be in hell? The Bible's clear. The man that owned the cows feels terrible about it. There should be funerals of which he's responsible for. That's another conversation. On the right time, be praying about that. And then there's a lady that just totally, totally just walk in the store and she says, were you in an accident? Ten minutes later, we're talking about things and she's weeping because I was in the right place at the right time. Being available, friends. That's what God wants of you. You don't need to be the power. You don't need to be anything but available. Available. That's what Peter did. And you know what's going to happen? He's going to shake and rock that temple like it's never been rocked before. And I told you we're going to jump ahead. Over 5,000 people will now be in the church because of this lame man leaping and praising God that's been there every other day, lying there. And Peter reaches down to help him after God heals him. And now God's going to heal some hearts. You know what God wants to do in America today? He wants to heal some hearts. He wants to heal some hearts. And I'm going to pray that you are exactly where God wants you to be. You're going to take some steps in your life's journey this week that you don't even know where they're going to be. But when you go to be available with Jesus, you will be in a place that will impact the world 
for God. Let's pray. Father God, what an awesome God you are. Your sovereignty, your majesty is overwhelming. And to think that Jesus Christ became so vulnerable that his stepfather Joseph would have held him in his two hands. This was Joseph's creator. This was Almighty God. His name was even given Emmanuel, God with us. That's where Jesus Christ came to this earth. That's not where he started. He wasn't born to to his beginning. No, he was in the beginning. Before there was a beginning of time, he was. As he said to those Pharisees on John chapter 8, verse 58, which must have blown their minds. Before Before Abraham was, I am. That's who he claimed to be. Jesus Christ became a sacrifice for me. His blood was shed on Calvary's tree for me and for anyone else that will trust Christ as their Savior. Father, I pray for each one that hears my voice today that if they don't know Jesus Christ, that today would be that day for them to turn their lives, their hearts over completely to you. Put their full trust in Jesus Christ, the one and the only source of salvation. There's no other name under heaven whereby men can be saved. That's going to be part of Peter's message next week. It's true today. But Father, the other ones that I really want to pray for, not just those that need to find Christ, that will trust them even today, just inside their heart, the intimate place of where they make decisions. But Father, it's for us that have trusted Christ. Those that are living our life daily moving to becoming more, Father, which you want us to be, and that's looking like Jesus Christ. Father, help us to yield more to the Spirit. Help us to be more available. Help us, Father, to see the world from your perspective. Father, it's not our power. No, 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 no. It's our person and availability that you want. Just like Peter reached down to help that man that couldn't have even known what was next. May we do the same. May someone, Father, at our hands be healed by you this week spiritually. Give them the power to be engaged wherever they're at, Father, to be all that you want them to be. Surpass all of our understanding beyond our comprehensions, as it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Father, we just want your power to be revealed to a world that desperately needs to know Jesus. Take us and use us. In Jesus' name.